Welcome to The Leader, the Evening Standard's daily news, commentary and analysis podcast. We're here at 4pm. Make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing. Now, from The Evening Standard in London, this is The Leader. Hi, I'm David Marsland. A British teenager convicted of lying about being gang-raped in Cyprus avoids jail, but the campaign continues to clear her name. Her legal team have made it very clear she's going to continue maintaining her innocence and take the case to appeal. Our Courts correspondent Tristan Kirk on what the 19-year-old's family will do now their daughter is coming home. Also, she was very much sort of nurtured in her career by Shadow Chancellor John McDonnell. She said, you're as likely to see me on the picket line as you are in the dispatch box. Political correspondent Sophia Slay on the Labour Party leadership as Rebecca Long-Bailey enters the running. And... At the Golden Globes, Aquafina won for the farewell. Other bodies are starting to get with the times and it's BAFTA who's looking a little bit out of date. Evening Standard film critic Charlotte O'Sullivan says BAFTA can't get away with having no woman on the Best Director nomination list for seven years. Taken from the Evening Standard's editorial column, this is The Leader. For the whole thing, pick up the newspaper or head to standard.co.uk slash comment. In a moment, what next for a British teenager who denies lying about being gang-raped in Cyprus? Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, host of the Evening Standard Rugby podcast, brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. The show is available to listen to now and right up to the end of the season when the winners of the Champions Cup will be crowned at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and the fight for the Premiership title will be decided at Twickenham. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Subscribe and download now wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Protesters chanted and held We Believe You placards outside Famagusta District Court in Cyprus as a 19-year-old British woman arrived for sentencing. She'd been convicted of lying about being gang-raped but says she was made to change her account by police. Facing possible jail, she was instead given a four-month suspended sentence free to go home. A lawyer, Lewis Power QC, says she'll be given a warm welcome. First of all, may I say, the parents are extremely relieved that finally their child is coming home to the UK. This has been an incredibly sad and tragic case for a young teenage girl, a once happy and gregarious young girl, who, like so many of her age group, came over to Cyprus with all the excitement of a young traveller and with high aspirations to attend university thereafter. 
but the conviction stands, much to the fury of supporters in both the UK and Cyprus, which has been under enormous political pressure. Our court's correspondent Tristan Kirk has been following the story. Tristan, she's out of jail, but her name hasn't been cleared. Will this go back to court? Well, the British woman involved in this case maintained her innocence throughout the trial, but she was convicted of lying about uh, being raped in the hotel in Ayanapa. That conviction still stands, even though she wasn't sent to prison today. So what's happened next is that her legal team have made it very clear she's going to continue maintaining her innocence and take the case to appeal. They've said that they're willing to take the case all the way up to Cyprus's Supreme Court, if necessary, in order to clear her name. However, there was a warning today that if the case needs to go all the way to the Supreme Court, it could take up to four years to be finally resolved. There had been reports the Cypriot president would pardon her. Is that still being talked about? I think what's likely is that the presidential pardon was something that was discussed in the event that the judge decided he had to send the woman back to prison. But since he decided on a suspended sentence rather than an immediate prison term, I think it's much less likely that the presidential pardon will now be used, as it would be an extraordinary step to take. Tristan, did UK government pressure affect the outcome at all? Well, frankly, we'll we'll never really be sure whether the government's pressure that it applied to the Cypriot authorities had any effect at all. Essentially, today's sentencing was all down to the judge and whether he decided that he needed to send this woman to prison straight away or whether he could impose a suspended sentence. How has this case affected the health of the woman involved? Well, this is a case that's involved a lot of claim and counterclaim, whether there was a rape or whether it was a false allegation. What's absolutely clear and surely cannot be doubted by any of the sides involved is that the woman in this case has been severely affected. Her mental health has deteriorated as she was first held in prison in Cyprus and then she was released on bail but not allowed to come home to Britain. She is said to have suffered severely from uh, post-traumatic stress disorder um, her mental health has been severely affected by the, uh, the publicity around the case and the pressure of facing trial and, and a possible return to prison. And so her lawyers have made it clear that uh, somebody who was once uh, um, a lively and gregarious woman is, is now a, a shell of what she used to be and is facing a future where she has to pick up the pieces, uh, see if she can return to her Uh, plans to go to university and basically rebuild her life in the wake of this very high profile and very traumatic case for her. Next. It's a really exciting race to watch, actually. We've got the dynamic of of what some might call the the hard left, but also there's this kind of fight back from what we would call moderates. The Labour leadership campaign's hotting up our political correspondent Sophia Slay on what's happening inside the party. Rebecca Long-Bailey is the sixth candidate to stand for leader of the Labour Party. The Shadow Business Secretary is a key ally of Jeremy Corbyn and is seen as a front-runner, although behind current bookies favourite Sakia Starmer. Others on the list include Jess Phillips, Clive Lewis, Emily Thornbury and Lisa Nandy. Our editorial column thinks it'll be a fascinating contest and wonders who has what it takes to get the job. Let's set some tests. First and foremost, 
Does this person see their overriding mission to be getting Labour into government? That might seem like an obvious central objective for any opposition, but it was not the primary goal of Jeremy Corbyn and his fellow travellers, Len McCluskey and John McDonnell. The second test is this. Do they look like a Prime Minister? It's a blink test. Can you imagine this person stepping off the helicopter in Camp David? or turning up at the Elysee Palace and representing the country. We can already apply the second test. We can look at the candidates and tell which few look like PMs in waiting, and the many who don't, and frankly, never will. Whether the candidates can also pass the first test is something the coming weeks can illuminate, but only the coming years will confirm. Let's tune in and watch. Our political correspondent Sophia Slay has been watching the candidates. Sophia, Rebecca Long Bailey's finally entered the race. She took a while, but it's not a big surprise. No, it's really not not a big surprise, um, but it's certainly exciting, though. It's hotting up the race. She announced her candidacy by writing in a socialist magazine called Tribune, um, in which she sort of she vowed to go to war with the political establishment. Um, essentially, this is seen as you know continuing. Corbyn's project. She's saying she's no continuity candidate, but that's very much how she's being seen. She was very much sort of nurtured in her career by Shadow Chancellor John McDonnell and is seen as part of being, you know, a member of that same project. She said, You're as likely to see me on the picket line as you are in the dispatch box. It's interesting you said there that she launched a campaign in Tribune, the, the socialist magazine. So, although denying that she's a continuity candidate, it seems that she's very much trying to appeal to his base. And I wonder if part of doing that is what appears to be this veiled attack on the likely favourite for the job, Keir Starmer. She used the phrase triangulation um, and said they took their eye off the ball, essentially, you know, neglecting the voters um, over their Brexit policy, um, ending up with a bit of a fudge. She said, you know, I'm not taking a covert attack on on Mr Starmer, but I think that's how it will be interpreted by everybody listening to that this morning. She's clearly seeing him as the main challenger and he, he, in all the debates, started pushing towards a second referendum and I suspect this is where she sees she can you know, differentiate herself from, from him. So we now have several candidates declared. Keir Starmer's there, Rebecca Long-Bailey, obviously Jess Phillips announced at the weekend. It's looking like a really interesting time for the Labour Party right now, isn't it? Yeah, it's really exciting. It's a really exciting race to watch, actually. Um, we've got, you know, obviously the, the, the dynamic of, of what some might call the, the hard left um, that, that, that came in with Corbyn. Um, there were some quite strong words this morning from Labour former Foreign Secretary Jack Straw. He said the party needed a continuity candidate like a hole in the head and said a continuity candidate would be a suicide note for the party. Um, very, very strong words. He even went as far to say as that the party could actually collapse if it went for a continuity candidate. Um, he was also damning about the anti-Semitism crisis, which... Uh, I think virtually all of the, the candidates have spoken about and condemned and said things like we haven't done enough, but that will certainly be one to watch, whether they can really root out that problem, whether people believe they can root out that problem. And we've got comprehensive coverage of the leadership campaign, including profiles of the candidates online at standard.co.uk. Now. 
what do BAFTA's Best Film and Best Director nomination categories have in common? There are no women in either of them. That's in the year Greta Gerwig's Little Woman became a box office smash. There's been a bit of a backlash on social media. Our film critic Charlotte O'Sullivan reviewed Little Woman, although you only gave it four stars, Charlotte. Should it be on that best film list? Absolutely. It's a wonderful film, very inventive. It's directed with such style. I think at the beginning maybe you can't tell, especially if you don't know the book, because Greta Gerwig has actually changed so much about the book and is playing a sort of long game. So the longer it goes on, you realise that She's sort of toying with us and with our expectations and also sort of commenting on what women could show, you know, back in the day, but also now, you know, our, our need for romance. And I'd, I'd sort of say you could compare it to um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yes, it really deserves to be in the list. But if it goes on the list, what comes off? Well, I sort of think Sam Mendes' 1917, though lovely, is sort of a solid choice rather than an inspired one. And he did so well at the Golden Globe, so he hardly is a weak link in the eyes of the world. But for me, that's, that's who could have been left out. Apart from no women appearing on, on the, the best directors list and there being no female helm films in the, in, the, in the best films list, there's a real lack of diversity at all in what BAFTA's released as its nominations, isn't there? Especially in the Best Actress category. It's quite shocking in a way, given the strength of uh, women of colour in the acting field. Like, for example, Cynthia Erivo just gave this wonderful performance in Harriet. It's just been completely unacknowledged. Also, Lupita Nyong'o in Us and Aquafina in The Farewell. This isn't asking for special favours. You know, there's lots of wonderful performances, but for me, if... You had to sort of take one out, maybe Jesse Buckley and Wild Rose. In America, it just did so well at the box office. And Cynthia Erivo is a British actress. And it's kind of incredible that she sort of won over all these Americans who were very circumspect about a British actress being chosen. But BAFTA say that this is an industry-wide problem. They're effectively just reflecting an issue within the movie industry itself. They can only judge the films that they're given. Is that fair? I, I don't think they can get away with that this year, actually, because at the Golden Globes, um, for example, Aquafina won for The Farewell. So I think other bodies are starting to um, get, with the, get with the times, and it's BAFTA who's looking a little bit out of date. And looking at the, the rest of the list and the nominations in all those categories, are there any films in there that you're particularly glad to see? There's this wonderful documentary for Sama made by Wad Al-Khatib. She basically just filmed her life in Aleppo as the bombs are falling while her, her husband, a doctor, is trying to save lives and while their little daughter is growing up. It is so personal and it is so shocking. It's been nominated in all sorts of categories and I think it will come away with something. I suspect maybe in the best film, not in the English language, or maybe best documentary. So, yeah, it's nice that that's getting recognition. And another movie that I know that you like, Charlotte, is Parasite, which has uh, been recognised too, hasn't it? Yes, that's almost my favourite film of all of all of them. It's by Bong Joon-ho and it's a South Korean I guess you could call it comedy, but it's also very bloody. And it's just, it had my heart beating sort of all the way through. If Parasite won Best Picture and Best Director, this would probably the, be the best year for diversity that we've had. So to see a South Korean director winning would sort of change the whole image of the BAFTAs. 
And that's The Leader. Subscribe through your favourite podcast provider and also give our audio news bulletins a try. Just ask your smart speaker for the news from the Evening Standard. The Leader is back at 4pm tomorrow. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, host of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast, brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. The show is available to listen to now and right up to the end of the season, when the winners of the Champions Cup will be crowned at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, and the fight for the Premiership title will be decided at Twickenham. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers, and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Subscribe and download now wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening.